All right. It's good to see you. It's good to see that people are excited for our summer series. Um, I'm excited for this because, um, you know, the, the heart of what we do really is making disciples as a church. And, and this is not a task just for the pastor um, or the elders or the deacons. This is for everyone. It's our calling, right? But there is, I think, a lot of confusion in, a, in the contemporary church as what is the mission of the church. And this basically what we're going to start our discussion today is really what, what is this about? What, what is our mission? Is it one or is it multiple? We're going to talk about some of things that people try to, to say, okay, this is about the kingdom of God, so we have to implement the kingdom. We have to... Uh, uh, to bring a social justice, and really there is a lot of confusion to what is the, the mission of the church and what is the mission of individual believers, all right? And we have clear instructions and scriptures should guide us. So I'll try, try to have more of a, a discussion time with you guys. I have some um, stats. Um, Andrew, if he has the PowerPoint there. Um, then how, how about we get started in prayer? Gracious Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the blessing uh, that it is to belong to you, to be your disciples and your followers. Father, we are thankful for your word that it gives us clear guidance all the way from the beginning of history. What was your intention? I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand these things and, and live out them. Uh, challenge our thinking, challenge our behavior. Though we might confess that we ought to be making disciples, we know, Lord, that this is not um, something that we're really committed to. So help us, um, help us to take advantage of the opportunities that you give us, as well as to increase in our conviction and love for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I was looking for some statistics in a Barna uh, group of research, and they're basically a Christian institution that tries to make stats on what people think about church, what leadership think about church, what churchgoers think about church. And one of the things that I thought it was relevant to our class was that they find out, found out that two in five Christians are not engaged in discipleship. That's what, 40% of the, the Christian population. Um, and then what I think it's interesting on the next slide there, you can see... Um, what are the reasons why people say they can, they, they're not engaged in discipleship in the community? Um, not feeling qualified or equipped is the main barrier for this group. And I don't even need the statistics to, to say that, because most of the times when I talk to people, they say, well, I just don't know. If someone asks me a question about the Bible that I don't know how to answer, I, I just don't know. I think it is interesting that that old question, I just don't know how to answer, Christ himself has given guidance to his disciples, right? So additional Barna research shows that the disinterest in discipleship making or disciple making is tied to a fear of not being good at it or not having enough knowledge or being the wrong person for the job. The confidence crisis is a core issue, whether because of this personal weariness around discipleship or more general indifference. Some Christians who aren't making disciples seem only to need a push. One in four says that practice of discipleship others hasn't been suggested to them, or they haven't thought about helping someone to grow closer to God. That was 22%. And I, I just try to, to, to put my mind to action, right? As we're studying scripture, and even last Sunday in the sermon, I, I did brought this about making uh, disciples and mentoring people and teaching them. 
So if you look at the Great Commission, making disciples is not just about giving them a free ticket to heaven. It is about helping them grow and to know God and to obey Christ. And I think that is the, the major deficiency, too. We, we kind of have a, a short understanding. And I don't know what he's thinking about discipleship here. If, if he's thinking on the same terms that we are thinking, um, but those were interesting things. So for these next eight weeks, and it's not going to be necessary eight lessons, we're going to have different people coming here to teach us um, on different topics regarding evangelism. What, what is the role of God and, and his sovereignty in evangelism? What is our role? Um, do we just sit back and since God has elected people, he's just going to save them anyway, so why do I have to preach the gospel? Right? We have <laughs> people making comments uh, like that, and they firmly believe it. Um, at the same time, um, we, we have the extremes where everyone keeps saying everyone needs to go to the mission field. They, they need to move from their houses and go somewhere. Do you think that we all should be involved in disciple-making? Right? But we, not all of us is going to go to Brazil I wish, <laughs> but it, that's not going to be the case uh, for most of us. Um, and so we tr- we'll try to answer some of these questions and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So understanding conversion is one of the topics that we will cover as well. Um, and then how do I effectively share the gospel? I think there is a lot of uh, techniques out there that people use, and it, no, I don't think some of them are not necessarily unbiblical, uh, but our reliance is not on methods, but on the power of the gospel to save. So uh, this is basically what we're going to be studying. And then today, um, as I said, the focus is, what is the mission of the church? I like this quote from uh, this book by Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert. The name of the book is, What is the Mission of the Church? Making Sense of Social Justice, Shalom and the Great Commission. Um, Social justice, we're familiar with this shalom. It's referring to the um, peace and the completeness that the people of God have. And and basically, they're trying to spread the shalom in this this world. That's the the premise of this theory uh, permeating churches today. And he starts with this quote that I thought is interesting. He says, if everything is mission then nothing is mission. Um, What what are some things that people, some wrong perceptions that you might think people have on the mission of the church? What what is that God has called us to do as a church? Whatever comes to your mind. To make me feel good. good, It's the mission of the church. (laughs) There are people out there that think that way. Both correct and wrong thinking. You can, what are some thoughts there? Evangelism. It's to proclaim the evangel or the gospel uh, to, to people. What else? What are some other views? What's the mission of the church? Mm, yeah, so this kind of self-help groups or support groups. The church is there to, to help the society, to make society a better place. Well, we understand that there is a blessing to the church, to the society, but that's not the mission of the church, right? And so um, here I'm going to read a little bit from uh, Kevin DeYoung. He says, for starters, what do we even mean by mission? If that question is settled, we face more difficult questions. Is the mission of the church discipleship or good deeds or both? Is the mission of the church the same as the mission of God? Is the mission of the church distinct from the responsibilities of individual Christians? Is the mission of the church a continuation of the mission of Jesus? And if so, what was his mission anyway? And kind of a side comment, um, we're not healing people today. We're not uh, making signs and wonders anymore to draw people to God. And I, I think there's so much emphasis on that now, that this is how we do it. If we remove the signs and wonders, 
we are a weak church. We are a church that the power of God is not present. That, that's what I heard many times from our charismatic uh, friends. Um, related to these questions are others. What, be the, um, what should be the church's role in pursuing social justice? Should we totally reject, I mean, social justice as a theory, but should we re reject any type of social justice? Are we right to even use that phrase, or what does it mean? Does God expect the church to change the world or to be about the work of transforming social structures? What about the kingdom? How do we build the kingdom of God, or are we even capable? Are we even capable of building the kingdom? How does the kingdom relate to the gospel, and how does the gospel relate to the whole storyline of the Bible? How does all of this relate to mission? Despite all these questions, there is a lot of evangelic, uh, that evangelicals can agree on when it comes to the mission. The gospel is, and this is, I think, where we all agree, the gospel is, at the very least, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection Proclamation is essential to the church's, the church's witness. Heaven and hell are real. People are lost without Jesus. Bodies matter as, soul, as much as souls. And good deeds as a fruit of transformed lives are not optional. But if you are to find a lasting and robust agreement on the mission practices and the mission's priorities, we must move past generalities and build a, theology, build a theology of mission using the right categories and the right building blocks. In other words, as we grasp key concepts like the kingdom, the gospel, social justice, we're, we'll be better able to articulate a careful, biblical, faithful understanding of the mission of the church. And just as important, we will be able to pursue obedience to Christ in a way that is more realistic, freeing, in the long run, fruitful. I do appreciate that, uh, to have clarity in the definition, <laughs> in the definitions, what we're all about, right? So if you, if you have your notes there, I don't know if everyone has it, um, but I, those are class notes from the time that I was in seminary, uh, Dr. Uh, Mike Riccardi, um, it was a professor there, so I just got some of the, the passages and the structure, really. What, and what we're trying to do here is to delineate through um, history, from all the way from Genesis um, to our day, what was God's mission and how, where the church comes in into this. Um, he starts there as the radical God-centeredness God of God. Um, the Westminster Catechism uh, states, right, what is the chief end of man is to glorify God. The main goal of our lives is to glorify God. And why? Because God's chief commitment is to his glory. So a few passages here for us to, to read. Um, it's Isaiah 42, 8. He says, I am the Lord that is my name, I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. And then Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake, and for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Um, it, I think right then and there already um, abate some of mis misunderstandings of what the mission, our mission should be about. Right? We see all these denominations trying to make a name for themselves, individuals, their so-called apostles that they're promoting this, they're really making, about making a name for themselves or making, seeking their own glory, their own pursuits, their own richness. And God is, this is not how it works in God's world. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 23. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate my holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. 
Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. So this is, um, I'm sorry, I should have given you time to find it, <laughs> to read and follow. Um, then another comment here is that God's great and most ultimate and in saving sinners is not make much of them, but to make much of himself. I think this would bother a lot of evangelicals today because they, oh, you know, as Eric even said, it is all about make me feel good. I want to go to a place where it's going to make me feel good. It's about me. It's about what I can get. And it's not about what God wants and what I can give. So Isaiah 43, how about different people read those verses? So Isaiah 43 Verse 6 and 7, someone can read that one. And then another can read Isaiah 43, 25. Another one can read 1 John 2, 12. And another one can read Ephesians 1, 6, 12, and 14. All right. Someone with Isaiah 43? Praise the Lord. All right, even the people of Israel... Uh, in their disobedience, the Lord is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. But this is not about you. <laughs> it is for my glory. It is for my name's sake that I'm doing this. Then verse 25 of Isaiah. Someone else want to do 25? Isaiah 43, 25. That is just so comforting. That even our forgiveness is not about us. It's not about what we feel about our sin. It's about God's glory being displayed, that for his name's sake, we're forgiven. What a joy. First uh, John 2, 12. Very good. And then Ephesians 1. A uh, person who is reading Ephesians 1 will read verse 6, 12, and 14. It's going to hop around a little bit. We talked about different aspects of salvation there. In there, um, even though some of the names were not mentioned, the Father, we know he's talking about God the Father, and then the Beloved being the Son, and then uh, our pledge being the Holy Spirit. So the whole Trinity really is involved in in salvation and really committed to bring glory unto themselves, unto himself. So... um, it is all for the praise of his glory. And then uh, one more is Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. We need to understand that ultimately God's mission in the world is to bring himself glory. It's past, present, and future. The Lord has always been committed to his own glory. Um, And it says, really, ultimately, God's mission in the world is to bring himself the glory he is worthy, that he deserves. So the key question comes, how then God has ordained the mission to be fulfilled? What are some things that should be present in that mission? How do we fulfill that mission of bringing glory to God? We, in First Peter, we're told that we ought to proclaim the excellencies of his person, of his character, right? So there are some ways that we're bringing glory to God. And I'm, I'm being more broad here than just the topic of evangelism. There are ways that we bring glory to God. I have a, a young guy that came to Christ recently and he made ask me this question like how do we how do we bring glory to god what what is that about and we're so used this is christianese language we keep saying well we bring god's glory right and what does that mean come on i'm gonna rely on you now to obey obey him Mm -hmm. and and if you think about of god as being the highest standard right he is holy He's, this is who he is. Uh, we are not to walk in unholiness, but to walk in holiness. Um, it's very good. What else? What ways do we glorify God? 
What activities do we glorify God in? Worship, could be singing, um, it could be praying, worshiping God through prayer. Um, for those that are not very good at singing, like myself, <laughs> who, 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 we can praise God and worship God in different ways. What else? Serving Him. Yeah, I actually it's interesting that you bring that up because in the in the Old Testament, the the word for worship um, is very connected to the word service. So um, I worship God by serving Him, by living for Him. What else? First Corinthians ten thirty one. What does it say for those that has have it memorized? So whether we drink. Whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. I am um, eating a very delicious meal. How do I glorify God in that? We thank him for it. He created it. He enabled you to make it. He did everything. Your body can digest it. It's all about God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. we giving thanks to God for our meals, for instance. is a way that you can glorify him um, by enjoying it and not saying, oh, I don't want to eat this. Um, poor little animal, or I don't want to, you know, the plants too are alive. Um, well, I don't want to kill them. <laughs> and God has blessed for our enjoyment. Well, you have to do that with moderation, right, when we drink and eat. Um, so what else? Loving one another. Loving one another. And that kind of comes back to the, the um, reflecting God, right? For, for believers, we're told that every day we are being transformed into his image. So there are some aspects of God's nature that is now being reflected in his children because he's constantly changing them to be more loving, to be more patient, to be more serving, to be more thankful, all those things bring glory to our God. Now, what is the means uh, that we fulfill the, the, this mission of glorifying God? I mean, we saw different aspects, but how do we start? So Romans 1, 16, this is, these are some good passages for us to read. Um, hopefully I have them right here. Romans 1, 16. Um, how we get people to even start glorifying God. We're reading Romans 1, the whole progression and the decadence of the fallen humanity. Um, and, and they're not glorifying God. They're glorifying the creature. They're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And in contrast with that, what, what is the solution for ha- taking people out of seeking their own glory to seek God's glory. Well, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it shall be written, the righteous shall live by faith. So how... We get people to glorify God, either Jew or Greek, through the proclamation of the gospel. And Paul is saying, I'm not going to be ashamed of it because this is the only means that we can get people to function as they were designed by God, how they were created by God. James 1.18. If you bit me to the point, you can read it. James 2 and verse 18. 118 says, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show, I'll show you my faith by my works. And we think about this in terms of evangelism. Uh, it, it gets to the core of spurious decisions, right? To, to people saying, I, I was saved, I was forgiven by Christ, but the way I live doesn't matter. Because I was just forgiven. You know, I, I'm going to heaven. That doesn't matter the way I live. 
And James is not saying that we're saved by works, but that, that those works should back up the testimony, the confession that we have. Our admission of having faith should be accompanied by works. And then 1 Peter 1, 23. Let's actually start in 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls through the truth. So we know that something does that. So it is the truth. Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For if you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. What is the, the, the seed here that he's talking about? We're going to see another seed, but what, what is the seed that was implanted? The word of God, the so scriptures, the Bible, all 66 books of scripture is what causes that transformation. In us. So, in the divine mathematics, 2 Corinthians 4.15 um, does kind of portray that where Paul is saying, you know, I'm trying to imitate God, right? I'm going to be selfless. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Um, so even when we do serve others, when we do uh, evangelize, we're doing that to bring more glory to God. The more people know him, the more people will worship him as he wants to be worshipped. So then, what is the mission drift? Is, is, that a, is there a place in the church for the social gospel? And when by social gospel, what, what am, I, am I saying? That's not the, the, the full gospel. Um, it, it's a, it's a man-centered, uh, trying to bring reformation to people. Uh, does Christ, Christ reform people? Yes. Does Christ revive people? Yes. Does Christ renovate people? Yes. <laughs> But the point is, he saves them. He has come to save us. And I, why, why am I saying this? Because if you look at the name of the new churches out there today, right? It is renovation. It is um, whatever it is, the new fad that is in there. It, it, they're making about people. They're making about them seeking uh, themselves, really. And then... Another mission drift is ushering the kingdom. Right? Christ said that he, the kingdom was already there, um, but quite not yet. <laughs> the kingdom is here, even in our day, but is the kingdom already implemented? And is there a way that we can usher the kingdom? I want to hear your thoughts on this. Would you understand what I mean by trying to usher the kingdom? What are some um, denominations that see that as their main goal? Um, some people, what, someone said anything? The Catholics, right? So that's why they so emphasize on deeds because this is about God's kingdom. We're giving alms because we're trying to usher in God's kingdom. We're trying to bring God's kingdom to earth. Um, people, for instance, that deny the millennial, the millennial kingdom, they think, you know, it, Christ is already reigning now. Um, we need to, um, to make that happen. So we should have social justice happening. We shouldn't have inequality. And they go to Acts and they say, well, see how the church did? They shared everything they had. They had everything in common. See, it, they were living in a communism, so to speak. <laughs> and, and they want to implement all these things because this is how we're going to usher in the kingdom of God. What we read in Revelation, all the transformation that's going to happen, all the advancement that's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. But that's not us. 
that will bring those things to pass. We, we won't usher the kingdom. Or bringing about kingdom-like conditions, right? Like the, the whole commune thing with sharing their, their, being, their means. Um, and, and I'm saying here, I just want to make a note, um, and I'll mention more of that later. Um, we're not opposed to people that like making donations to institutions. They're committed. You know, I, I have helped uh, Johnny and Friends, um, not Johnny and Friends, what's called the one in California, um, Children's Hunger Fund. Um, you know, volunteer there. It's a lot of fun. We know that we can be helping people. Uh, but what is the goal of even Children's Hunger Fund? They want to proclaim the gospel. They want, the main thing is they want people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ coming to earth. The feeding, they know this is temporary. This is not going to last. This is not our main mission. I mean, we do a lot of that. But if we give them food and we don't give them the gospel, right? Uh, Paul, I just remember Paul saying, um, I, I don't have no money, <laughs> but this that I have, I give it to you. And more than his health, uh, when he uh, healed the lame man that was paralytic for a long time, um, he died. I mean, his legs that were perfectly functional are now buried and diminished to dust. But that man had all the riches in Christ. Now he is with him because he believed him. So let's do a quick um, kind of overview of, um, and I'll go a little fast on this, biblical theolo theological outlook. The creation. As the, as the Lord of creation, God unrightly demands worship. In the fall, there is this rejection of his lordship. Nobody wants to submit to him. They want to do whatever it pleases them uh, with Adam and Eve. And with that, um, they rejected his lordship, but also there was a promise of redemption, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, bruise you in the head. He's, this is the Lord's words to the serpent. Uh, so for context here. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Who is the seed? Christ is that seed of the woman. Right? A descendant of a woman would uh, bruise Satan on the head. Um, will have a, a final blow in Satan's head. And it says that why then we have her seed, the seed of the woman, and we have your seed, the seed of Satan. Who is he referring to? Who is the seed of Satan? When we think about seed, we're thinking about uh, posterity. Normally in the Bible, it's talking about offspring, like people that came from, um, so the sons and daughters. We know that in the world, we only have two types of people, the sons of God and the sons of the devil. So those who don't believe, they are in the kingdom of darkness. They are his seed. You know, the Pharisees, I think about that. The Pharisees, they were Satan's paw to kill Christ on the cross. The Romans were Satan's paw to kill Christ on the cross, to accomplish his work of redemption. But their intent was not that, right? And then at the, the Tower of Babel, God establishes nations and languages and demonstrates the need for grace. He makes it impossible for the nations to communicate with each other. Genesis 11.9 says, Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there is there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. What was God's will for them to go, multiply, and spread to the whole earth? They decided we're not going to submit to this plan. We're going to stick together, and we're going to build a name for ourselves, Right? Again, what is the mission of God? Glorify himself. They weren't doing that. I'm going to force you to spread now. <laughs> and they did with the languages. 
And then we have the call of Abraham. The plan of redemption begins with the introduction of a nation. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I'll make your name great. And so you shall be by blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curse you, curses you, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. So we knew there was a seed of a woman. I can only imagine the expectation it was for Eve when she found out that she was pregnant. It's like, it's, it's going to be this one <laughs> that will deliver us. But she didn't know how long it was going to take for her seed to defeat Satan. I think there was that eager expectation. And I think throughout creation for the believers... Those that trusted God and his way of redeeming them, there was that expectation that when is when's going to be the day that he comes, that he's going to destroy the power of sin and Satan once and for all. So the seed becomes then a nation, and God chooses one nation to be a blessing to the other nations. There is the isolation of Israel. God calls the nation out of slavery and gives them the law which included the command to take possession of the land. That, so that was connected, very much connected with the land, where he says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go and take in possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. And that's something that we, we need to really put in the forefront of our minds. You, you know, it, the, the Old Testament, when you look at the Old Testament law and God's plan for Israel and even the laws that he has given to Israel, that was very specific. This is a, a people that were separated by God to, to be the descendants, right, the seed of that woman that will bring about salvation eventually through Christ, their descendant. And yet, it is not about us taking possession <laughs> in conquering like Joshua did, um, but that was, that was for Israel. It wasn't for us. Israel then was uh, supposed to, uh, the law was supposed to set them apart from the nations. So how about someone read the Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 8 passage there? What was Israel's great commission? All right. So how was Israel then to glorify God and bring the Great Commission, right? How did they were supposed to bring God's glory within the nations, in the midst of the nations? Faithful obedience. You leave out the principles, um, and people will look at your life, and they'll be curious. What people is that, that they have a God that is so close to them? It, it, you know, the mission to Israel was different than the mission that we have for the church today. Um, it, a lot of what happened, people that would come to God, rarely you would have a, a gospel proclamation um, of, of salvation, right? This is the God of Israel. You need to repent and believe. Um, situations like that, there were occasions that the Lord would call nations into repentance, like with uh, Jonah that was sent to, to preach at Nineveh. But really, the, the main thing was you live out and then people will be attracted to you. You don't leave your land to go out and, and proclaim the gospel there. The rare of, were the occasions where um, he did that with Jonah, but people were to look at them, to see how they live, and that interest would, would bring them to the knowledge of the God of Israel. Whenever the Lord did wonders, that also brought them to Israel. So righteous living... They were supposed to be distinct from the other nations. Um, they were supposed to transform the society. They were, I mean, minutia. How you bury your own poop. That was, you know, a detail. But even the way that they did things, it was so detailed. Eliminate poverty, correct oppression, and attract the nations. And then moving on there, we have the Davidic covenant with a transition to the monarchy and it becomes clear that God will draw nations to himself through his ruler. Even in Genesis, we have those promises. We know that, I'm not going to read all of this, but 
the all from all the nations we have the nation of Israel being singled out from the the nation of Israel we have the tribe of Judah being singled out and then we have the line of David being singled out as part of that and the main point is that um, the seed of David would be there um, to fulfill the promises in Genesis 3.15. Now, to the New Testament. That's where we are at now. <laughs> what is our um, goal here? Luke 1, 31 to 33. Can someone read one that, that one for us? It was the great fulfillment of that seed of a woman. Now we, have, we know his name, he's come, but we're at the tail end of all those promises on the Old Testament. God is on his mission to bring glory to himself, both from Jews and Gentiles. Isaiah 49, 6, it says, Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones from Israel? And I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So, though that in the Old Testament, primarily, the people of Israel, Israel was the ones that knew the Lord, God always had intention to save all mankind, different tribes and nations and tongues. It was not just the people of Israel. God will bring glory to himself through the seed of Abraham, the um, seed of David and the king of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So now a new, pish, a new mission for a new people. The mystery that was not revealed in ages past, and we read in Ephesians and Hebrews, says that it was a mystery that the prophets of the Old Testament longed to understand that God would have now a people that he would dwell with them again, in, inside them. Right? That we are in the Spirit, the Spirit is in us. He would make one man, both of Jews and Gentiles, a new means for God's people to bless the nations. How then, and this is our mission, now I just wanted to get to here, the Great Commission, right? Mark 16, 15, uh, 16 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, it's not saying that baptism is a requirement for salvation, because really what condemns people is not the act of them being baptized or not, is the act of making the confession of their belief. And baptism is simply that. It is a confession of that belief. Luke 24, to, uh, 45, 48. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, Thus is writ it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sin will be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Um, and there is all these passages here. We're not going to read all of it, but it should inform our mission, right? Matthew 28, 19, 20. Um, I think we have, most of us have this verse memorized. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am always with you to the end of the age. And he says something very similar in Acts 10, 1, 8. So with this commission, Jesus makes evangelism an issue of obedience. Evangelism is the mission of the church, right? Um, so we had really established that already. What is then, what was different now, what is different now from the mission that Israel had to the mission that we have? What is in common? Let's first start with the similarities. What is in common between us and Israel? What do we have in common? We're servants of God. We, we live for his glory. So Israel was called to live for his glory, to bring glory to his name. We're called, ultimately, to bring glory to his name. So by evangelizing, we are, yes, we're, we're concerned, our heart goes out for people, but ultimately, our major concern is that God's glory will be displayed in this world and that he will be glorified. And then, what is different from our mission and the mission that Israel had? 
we have to go out, right? Israel was not to go out. They were supposed to remain their place, and then people would be attracted by seeing the way they were living. And so it, it is helpful for us to, to, to think in these terms. Because here's, here's a, 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 a twist to that. Have you, who ever heard this? Oh, you, you don't need to say anything. You, you just leave out the gospel. You just, you just obey God and you give a good testimony. And that's how people are going to be drawn to him. So it, it's really, we, we can't define mission as we think it is. God defines it. And we just have to trust it and obey. Trust and obey the mission that he has set for us. Um, then there are, there are some things that are confusing the, the evangelical uh, evangelicalism today. Cultural transformation, right? We have mentioned that elimination of poverty, food drives, building projects. Is it wrong for us to seek these things? You know, everything comes down to motivation, right? Um, the, when we think about proclamation of the gospel, we think about Philippians, where we read that there were people preaching the gospel out of despite. They wanted to just cause Paul to be jealous. But people were being saved. And he said, you know what? I am glad that people are getting to know God, even through the wrong means. But before the Lord, those people there are even preaching the gospel out of their own self-interests, they're not bringing glory to him. They're bringing glory to themselves and whatever twisted thinking they might have. So I'm going to uh, just read here a few things that I wrote um, some time ago. It says, One's understanding of the mission of the church should be impacted primarily by their view on the nature of the church and, the, and God's kingdom. The very essence of the church resides on its message to the world, to the furtherance of God's kingdom. In the New Covenant, God introduced a new community in definition of who is called his people. According to Jesus, the church was to be built on the confession of faith of Jesus as the Messiah. In Matthew 18, uh, 16, 18, Jesus said, You are Peter, and on this little rock, right, this is where I'm going to build my church. And what was the rock? Was Peter's confession? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The God who is living, who is not dead, is now this man that came to save us. And he's the Christ, he's the Messiah that came to suffer. He's going to suffer for us. Um, he suffered for us. So that, uh, thus there is a difference on how Israel, the old covenant community, and the church believers both made of both Jews and Gentiles. Israel was supposed to make God known to the world by the way of attraction, though the means of their testimony among the nation, through the means of their testimony among the nations. The church, on the other hand, is supposed to make God known to the world through the means of proclamation by going and sharing the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus' final instruction as he ascended to heaven was that his disciples were to make disciples. In a way, we also should attract unbelievers to Christianity by means of our testimony, by, but our calling is proclaiming of the message. It's not that, okay, we're just going to speak, and again, it's what James said, right? Tell me, tell me about this faith of yours that has no bearing, that has no fruit. Will that really convince people and com convert people? Why would I want to be a Christian if I'm going to live like that, right? So our testimony is important. The way we live is important. Uh, but the message is really what is going to save. We are then, ju we're just heralds, not agents of the kingdom. Um, we are called to bear witness. So I'm kind of reviewing here a little bit. We're just heralds, not agents of the kingdom. We're called to bear witness of the reality of the kingdom, as for the kingdom, we're not called to establish social justice in the world. This is what Christ will do in his second coming. He will correct every evil immediately. I mean, I'm just so excited for the millennium because we'll get to see justice being made immediately, right? We, and the other thing is that we're going to have glorified bodies that's not going to decay and get tired and... <laughs> Uh, and sick anymore. That's a, a, a glory to God that he's going to do that. 
So mercy ministries are important and part of many activities that are to be done by the church, but are not primarily the role of the church. Uh, we, at my home church, we had this food drive that we had people to, to bring um, the first Sunday of the month. They would bring, you know, rice or different, you know, uh, food that is, doesn't um, spoil very easy. And then we would make these uh, boxes of food for, you know, a month or for a few weeks for certain families. And we'll distribute with those, primarily those in the church um, that were in need. And then we also, if we had leftovers, we would have a few people that were outside the church. You know, and they knew a believer in our church and they thought, you know, I, I've heard that your church does this. So, but the commitment was that every time that we would um, give them the, those boxes of, with food, we would bring the gospel to bear. We would proclaim the gospel. Um, and so, understanding the place of mercy ministries, really, uh, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? So if you want, there's nothing wrong if you want to give $10, $20, a $20 bill for the guy ask, you know, begging for money at a, at a traffic light. Um, yes, we're called to love everyone, and if the Lord is moving your heart to give, you're free to do that. Um, I personally don't... <laughs> Don't do that because I don't know what they'll be doing. You know, I'd rather feed them and give something um, to eat instead of, of giving cash. I don't know how they're going to use it. Loving and caring for people is a responsibility of every Christian individually and not necessarily the, ch the church as a whole. So this is an important distinction. Mercy ministry and to love others and to do those things, it's, a it's an individual responsibility. It's not a responsibility given to the church as a whole. Each person is accountable to do that. The church is called to care for their members and supply their needs and care for one another, John, 1 John 4.21. And because the resources of the church, are, the church are limited, we cannot supply for the needs of the whole world. The priority is given first to those in the household of faith, for the family members in need, and then for whoever else we are able to help with our limitations. It's just a matter of uh, resources. We don't have all the resources in the world to give to everyone, so we will have to choose who we're going to give. We're, how will you find that priority? First, for those in the household of faith, your own family, and then if the Lord has given you more, then you share that with others. All right, um, I'm going to close this in prayer, but if you have questions, please feel free to come and, and ask and we can discuss. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the clarity of your word that teaches us and tells us what is the mission for us as human beings and for us as a church. Lord, help us to glorify you in everything we do and say and help us to be committed even in the weeks to come to this calling of making disciples. We pray for all these things in your name, amen.